thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. It was nice. We've got, I've got nieces and nephews on that trip. Um, and I thank all of you who've supported them and who are praying for them even now. This is their big week of ministry. They arrived on Saturday, um, just tired but still full of energy. And they did church this morning. I think they're 14 hours ahead of us. So pray for them this week. Will you do that? Remember them and pray for them. We believe them for a great outcome. Uh, dynamic ministry this week. Cool. All right, let's pray. Commit our time to the Lord, and I'm going to open God's word for us. Lord, we thank you for um, a good meeting uh, for our brothers and sisters in Japan. Thank you for Fabio and for Elizabeth and for their kids and the ministry they're doing there. Thank you for the pastor and the church, God, that is the body of Christ in Japan. And Lord, we pray for a dynamic week for our young people and the leaders. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're with them. You've gone before them. You've prepared a way that as they go into the schools and they do cultural exchange and English classes and invitations to Bible school in the evening, that, God, those would be filled with divine appointments, that, Holy Spirit, you would have gone before them and you'd be planting seeds and you'd be quickening their faith, the faith of those who do not yet believe, that you'd be giving them the gift of faith, even in the context of a culture that doesn't welcome that faith. God, I pray, Lord, that... There would be incredible events of salvation, Lord, that these evenings would be filled, filled, oh God, with just the revelation of your love, the power of the gospel, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high above every other name. God, we thank you, Lord, that your promise is true to every generation, to every nation, every tongue. You're faithful. So God, do a mighty work. God, I pray for our young people, Lord, these young ambassadors, not only of Living Word Church, but of course of Jesus Christ, that Lord, they would have boldness. God, that you would quicken the giftings in them. That God, you would do dynamic and profound kingdom work, even through those who won't even make their bed each morning. God, we honor you as the King of all kings, as the Lord of the nations. Glorify yourself. Lord, even in this room, in this place, God, I pray for our young people, the children out there having their own Pentecost Sunday, that you'd anoint that teaching, that you would empower, God, those words, that, Lord, you would bring their, your, your presence in the midst of our kids, that they would know and experience your love and mercy and the power of your presence. God, I pray for us in this room that, God, we would have hearts that are open, that we would have a longing for more of you. And God, we pray that as we go through your word, let your word go through us. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name, right? Amen. Amen. Hey, let's, um, I've been meaning to do this for a little while. I've been working up the courage. Let's sing glory to God by singing the doxology together. Do you know the words? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. 
Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. All right, now you're ready. You've just given praise and glory to God. The scriptures are open. We're praising the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And today in the church calendar is often celebrated 40 days after the resurrection, the Pentecost, the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so today my topic is the Spirit at Pentecost. But I want to bring us just some excitement about what it means to have the Spirit of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit is God himself, the presence and the power of Jesus amongst us. So when Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll never leave you or forsake you, or I'll be with you till the very ends of the earth. Well, Jesus is ascended, seated at the right hand of God in authority, and sent the Holy Spirit, his power and his presence with us. That God is three in one, one God in three persons. And that the Holy Spirit is the power and the presence of God amongst us. Now, from the beginning, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was hovering above the waters. At creation itself, the Spirit was there with the Father and the Son, and he brought beauty and order out of the chaos. We see the very breath of life, the Spirit of God breathed into the first human. That Adam made from clay and dust, the breath of God was breathed into him, and he became alive to God. And that Adam being made and Eve in the image of God was not just their physical appearance, but the very essence of the Spirit of God within God's beautiful creation, you and me. None more beautiful than the next. It's amazing that God walked with his people, that we were built for the presence of God, and that separation from God was never God's plan. As a matter of fact, we don't function right without the presence of God being among us and within us. That in the simplest of terms, sin and the brokenness of all humanity and the source of all the brokenness and pain in our world comes from this separation of us from the presence of God. And in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. It says, as in the cool of the evening, and spoke with them as a friend speaks with a friend, that there was intimacy and closeness in the presence of God in their lives. That when sin came and rebellion and we decided our own way, separation came. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. There was an angel with the first lightsaber put at the door. And now sin had caused this separation. Yet even then, God pursued humanity. He pursued his beloved. Those he chose to love, you and I, and the history of humanity, God has not forsaken And he raised up, right? He raised up a people, the least of those, not because they were impressive, not because they were great in number or amazing, but the worst and the least and the broken. He took them upon himself and he says, I will dwell with you and I will be your God and what? You will be my people and the presence of the Lord will be there. And we saw that even as the Israelites were leaving out of slavery, this beautiful picture, even for us, out of slavery, the presence of the God was there with them as a fire by night and a cloud by day. And after they got into the promised land, God set up the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the presence of God. And there was the holy of holies. There was this place where God would dwell among his people. And eventually the tabernacle was built into a beautiful temple. And the temple of God was the place right at the center, ground zero of God's people. 
that everybody would come and gather at the presence of God. They would call on God and God would answer them because he wanted to be their God and they would be his people. Through the sin of Israel and the rebellion of that people, God's presence left the temple and Jesus came, born in flesh and yet the very presence of God. And he said, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. And suddenly now the presence of God is no longer in this physical place, the temple, but now it was in the man, Jesus Christ. And when he referenced the temple, he wasn't talking about the beautiful building. He was talking about himself. And sure enough, that temple was physically destroyed on the cross, but God raised him up again, right? You know the story. By the Holy Spirit, he was raised again, ascended to heaven and says, wait. That the presence of God, the Holy Spirit would be poured out. That God's presence would once again be amongst his people. That he would be our God and we would be his people. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, Pentecost was not the beginning of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost was this incredible promised reality that God himself was fulfilling his promise and faithful to pursue. I want us to see this and understand this in a real way because I want you to know and I want you to hunger and thirst and long for more of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus himself, as he walked on the earth, needed the Holy Spirit. Our theologians teach us that Jesus himself was 100% God and 100% human. And the God part, the 100%, it's a mystery that he was God incarnate in flesh. And the God part of Jesus was righteous and pure and powerful. But the humanity of Christ needed the Holy Spirit. Let me just walk you through a couple of these. Let your mind wander and think and understand how the Spirit rests and empowers, rests upon and empowers Jesus in the Gospels. For we see in the virgin birth that he was born by what? The Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. That even at Jesus' baptism, right, the Spirit descended like a dove and remained upon him. And he heard his Father's blessing. This is my Son. I'm pleased with him. The Holy Spirit has always been the identification of sonship from God. He was tempted and pressured and compelled by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And having been tempted and through the trial, that Jesus was successful at resisting temptation and overcoming that trial, even where Adam was not successful and all of Israel was not successful. Jesus himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was successful to overcome temptation and trial and honor God in the midst of those moments. Jesus heals by the power of the Spirit. He teaches how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1 talks about Jesus resurrected and vindicated by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is there to strengthen the humanity of Jesus. As a human, Jesus lived, understand this, a dependent life. 
Jesus lived dependently on the Holy Spirit. Some of you right now, you need to be spiritually reaching inside of your heart, grabbing a fistful of independence and casting it away. Go ahead. Some of you are independent. Just grab it and cast it. If Jesus lived a dependent life, that he depended on the Holy Spirit for power and teaching and for the miraculous, for his own strength and well-being, just to, to know and be assured of his sonship before God, Jesus lived dependently. Won't you cast off your independence and live dependent on the Holy Spirit? That's how God sustains his people. Our character is conformed to Christ because the spirit of Christ lives in us. Right? You need your character conformed to Christ? Well, the same spirit that Jesus depended on in his human life, you can depend on. And the spirit wants to convict and transform and transform you into be more like Jesus and less like your own flesh. You want to be just who God created and made you to be. You need to do away with your own flesh. And you need to become fully dependent on the Spirit of God that he might conform and transform you to be like Christ. That is the best. That is the only authentic version of you. Oftentimes, my wife and I were talking about this week, we think of the Holy Spirit as like, well, we're like this car, right? If, you're, if you were an automobile, what would you be? Think of it. Just what car would you be? If you were a car, what would you be? You got it? What would you be? Prius? <laughs> no Prius. Who would be a Prius? What car would you be? A Bentley? Now we're talking, what? Huh? Okay, I don't know what the car is. That's a, a, (laughs) no wonder I didn't know what that car was. Well said, thank you very much. Come on, pick a car. El Camino? Camino? Oh, hold on, pause on the El Camino. Let's just take a minute and pray for Phil. (laughs) 350 Chevy, V8, a little stripe down the side like Starsky and Hutch, okay. What else? Give me another car. DeLorean. Thank you. Let's go back to the future. Yeah. What else? A Porsche. A Corvette. I like it. 68. Did you say Chevelle or Chevette? Okay. Important distinction. Nice. Come on, Dan. A Jeep. The man likes to get to where others can't go. All right. So you're thinking of your car. You think, this is me, the car. Have you thought of one? (laughs) So So, we often think of God, the Holy Spirit, as like, we are this car, engine, wheels, we all look cool, we got our Rolls Royce going, right? Um, And we think of the Holy Spirit as like this little turbo insert. Like, I can live my life But when I need just a little extra boost from God, the turbo kicks in. Nitrous. All right, he wants to do nitrous. 
I'm going to make the illustration. You think when you need a little bit extra, you're doing fine, you're living life, everything's generally good, but when you need a little extra from God, the Holy Spirit kicks in just to give you the boost. That is a false and not unbiblical picture of who you are in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because this is the picture of the Holy Spirit. You are that car, except inside that car, there is no engine. You are powerless. You are, how many people have ever pushed a car? Yeah, that's what your life is without the Holy Spirit. Honestly. We were, Sam and I, we were, while back, we were making a visit, we were visiting the hospital, and our car died. It was, it was our, thankfully, our small little Chevy, or what is it? Ford Focus. And it died right in the middle of the intersection. I'm like, oh, no. And I, I got up, and I start pushing it. It's not even a big car. And I'm not completely incompetent, but I'm pushing it. I'm like, it is not going anywhere. So this really friendly guy in a pickup truck. Why is it always people in pickup trucks that help, right? How come none of you picture, how many people actually pictured yourself in a pickup truck, but were afraid to say it? It's okay. Indiana's like a mile away. You're safe here. Anyway, so, so, so he gets out and he helps push this. It is really hard to push a car. And it is really, really hard to live the Christian life without the presence and nearness and fullness of the Holy Spirit. Life is just too overwhelming. Life is hard. Cars are heavy. So we can't think of Holy Spirit as a little turbo extra boost when you need it. The Holy Spirit, even illustrated by the life of Christ himself, he was dependent on the Holy Spirit in his humanity. How much more are we dependent on the Holy Spirit in our humanity? I'm looking for a major mental shift in the way you think and understand your relationship with the Holy Spirit today. That you stop giving just a little bit, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit is good, and when I need a little extra something, or when church is really good, or the songs are good, I can kind of feel tingling of the Holy Spirit. No. The Holy Spirit is the engine by which Christians live for Christ. How many people feel they just need to repent a little bit of their thinking right now? Let's take a minute. Pray with me. But repent with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Jesus that teaches us and shows us. Lord, forgive us for the folly of our own mind or the arrogance of our own mind that says that we think we're our own Rolls Royce, DeLorean, El Camino, whatever that we can drive our life and we only every once in a while need a little turbo boost. God, we repent from independence. Lord, deliver us from self-sufficiency. God, crucify our pride and cause our hearts to long for more of you. Lord, help our minds, Lord, just to be convinced of our need, of our dependency on the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you just, you, 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 turn our, you turn us. Lord, change our direction and the way we relate, the way we, we, our relationship is with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we make room for you. We make more room for you. As a matter of fact, Lord, we clear the decks 
and say, Holy Spirit, be the engine that drives our life. The very presence and power of God, we need you. Lord, we repent of ourselves and we ask for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read about Pentecost. If you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it's the setup. It's, it's Luke himself writing kind of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. He's writing in Acts. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And he says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive Say it with me. Power, an engine, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen? I just want to, I want to talk, I read the whole thing because it's just so good to, to sit and listen and hear and absorb the story. But, but I want to make the point here that these scriptures make about waiting on God. Waiting on God as a lifestyle to receive more of God. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, wait for the gift my father promised. If I asked a show of hands, how many people really enjoy waiting, right? I'm guessing not a lot of you would raise your hand. Because many of us, we view waiting as suffering, right? Waiting is suffering. Like now we've been conditioned that if we order something on Amazon and it takes two days, we have to wait. Like it used to take three weeks, four to six weeks for delivery, and they charge you for it. Now it's free, it's within 48 hours, and you still can't handle it. Or you think about waiting as suffering, like when your parents are just talking and talking and talking after church. It's like, you're so, or maybe your spouse. You're just like, I'm just gonna go wait in the car. 
They're out of donuts and you keep talking. There's no reason to be here anymore. Or maybe like some of your husbands might be able to relate to this or some of you guys. Like when you go shopping with your wife or your girlfriend and you have to wait, like you're just looking for a chair because you know you're going to be there 45 minutes and it's going to feel like eight days. We don't view waiting as a positive thing. We view waiting as suffering. But I want to maybe give you another perspective on waiting. The idea of waiting in hope, waiting in expectation for something wonderful. Right? This great anticipation, this sense of expectation. I mean, the most vivid example I could think of is for couples who wait to have sex until they're married, right? Now, that's not always that common in our world today. Maybe that's even the exception. But the Bible talks about sexual activity being done in the confines of marriage, and that, that when you wait with faith and expectancy and excitement, that God will honor the union of your marriage in the physical way, just like he will in the emotional and financial, all the other ways. That there are people that are waiting for this great, great experience that they want to have and they wanted to have for years, and yet they're living in expectation and hope. Those are the people that leave early from their wedding receptions. Those are the people that look forward to being together, the consummation of their love. There is a waiting that's so filled with expectation and hope and joy that God will reward them with something wonderful. When we live a lifestyle of waiting on God, in sharp contrast to the instant gratification, the, the, the things we want right away, we've said, wait a second. Like in our culture, if I go to Dairy Queen drive through and they make me pull up into like waiting slot number one, I'm like, what the heck? How long does it take to make French fries? Or, you know, it's just a hamburger. Don't make me go wait. We say, no, no, I'm going to forsake that idea, which is so profoundly, profoundly ingrained in us. I mean, all of us, when we were little babies, we didn't get what we wanted. What did we do? Yeah, we cried and pooped our pants. That's what we did. Some of you are still crying and pooping your pants when you don't get what you want. It doesn't come right away. I don't mean to be so graphic, but some of, right? It's true. So there's a lifestyle that says, I want to wait upon the Lord. I want to I just not be that person who's so frustrated and anxious in life that I'm just demanding. And I'm just going to get before God with a sense of expectation, a sense of desire for more of him, and I am going to wait on him. It's a different lifestyle. It's a different mentality. But Jesus told them 
that God's promised you something. Now, position yourself before God and wait to receive it with expectation and with faith. Now, if I was in Acts chapter 1, right, and and the disciples did this, is this the time? Is this the time? Is this the time? Is this the time God's going to fix Israel? Is this the time God's going to bring his kingdom? Is this the time? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time. It's for you to wait before the Lord. God's promises, your Father's promises, you've heard me talk about the Holy Spirit. And you get this combination of God faithful in his promise and us with eagerness and anticipation waiting upon the Lord. And that is where the miracle happened. I love in Luke 11... Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God is not asking you to wait upon him to delay you, to withhold from you, to deny you. God is asking us to wait upon him so that our hearts would grow in eager anticipation, so that our sense of hope and faith and dependence and love for God would grow and it would be like a funnel ready to welcome the presence of God into our lives. God has no joy or no intention to deny you or cause you needless delay. He desires, he longs to give you the Holy Spirit. Will you wait upon him? a lifestyle of waiting upon God. It demonstrates the denial of yourself, setting aside the distractions, setting aside your own timetables and your own fleshly sinful desires, setting aside the status quo and sitting there in urgent sense of expectancy, waiting for God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. This is not a one and done. It's not an event. I mean, they are events. But it's a lifestyle of ongoing, waiting on, dependency, pressing in to God. And that's what these guys did. Let me read it to you. The coming of the Spirit. Fulfillment of God's promise. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I love the unity pictured there. And suddenly, they didn't know, but suddenly, all of a sudden, God's moving. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind, wow, came from heaven. And the whole house was filled where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? 
How is it then that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? They were just bewildered. Could you imagine the event? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, um, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, everybody was invited to the party. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. (laughs) What an amazing story. I want to just give you three things that we see the Spirit doing. And then we're going to sing a song, and I want to give you just a, a little time to wait on God. If, you've just, if you feel just stirred, even now, while we're singing, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward. A couple of us will just pray very simply. We see in the New Testament God filling people like this as they're praying, worshiping together. We see God filling people with the Holy Spirit as leaders lay their hands upon people as a demonstration of God's reaching out and touching them. We see the demonstration of the Holy Spirit just coming on people as preaching is happening. It's wonderful how God does it. But you need the time and the moment to say, you know what, I need a fresh touch from God. I need to be baptized, baptismo. I need to be submerged and saturated in the Spirit of God. So the first thing I want to do in this idea of what we see in here is that the, the Spirit of God is very disruptive. I mean, really? The sound of a violent wind? It's very, very disruptive. When the Spirit comes, it's disruptive in our lives because the Spirit is like a stronger guy pushing in and pushing out all of the other fleshly, selfish, worldly things in your life. And so when the Spirit comes, He is disruptive to our lives. How many people have been disrupted by the Holy Spirit? Like God has just, He just messed me up. He turned me around. He has adjusted me. That's how God does it. And it's for your good. It's because He loves you. But when the Spirit comes, we see it here, it's disruptive. You cannot live the same self-effort, self-directed, selfish life. I'm amazed that even other times, it's like the whole building shakes when the Spirit of God comes. I've seen many people through the years have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it so shakes their lives. Like, on one hand, it's like, it's wonderful. It's the most wonderful thing that has ever happened to them. Like, God has so blessed me. I'm so blessed and filled and touched by the Holy Spirit. It's like new life has begun in me because Spirit is a Spirit of life. And on the other hand, they're like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with my life now because it's just demanding so much change and it's disruptive to me. But that's how God does it. Because God's not a turbo on your little engine. The Holy Spirit is the power. He is the source. I guess in this sense, he's also the steering wheel. My metaphor is not big enough. But the Holy Spirit's disruptive. Ask yourself right now, even as these guys did, are you willing to be disrupted by the Holy Spirit in your life?
Some of you that might be costly because you got a sweet little gig going. But God doesn't want you to have a sweet little gig. <laughs> he doesn't want you to have a smooth, happy life, only moderately compromised by sin and only partially compelled to mission and to the purposes of God. <laughs> he wants your life to be completely disruptive and given to God's kingdom and God's purposes for your life. Many people, they, they wander into the things of the Spirit and it becomes quite wonderful and they want it and they long for more of it and suddenly it becomes disruptive and they count the cost and then they back off, they get afraid. Even here in the very first example, there were people in awe of what God did with the miracle of the language and there were people making fun of them. Ah, they're just drunk hooligans. There's a cost to saying, yes, I, I long and I'm waiting on God. And I say, God, all of you and none of me. John the Baptist said it, more of Jesus, less of me. Jesus himself said it, not my way, God, but yours be done. The Spirit wants the same from you. The second thing that the Spirit does is this whole idea of filling and equipping it's amazing that, that one, when a person, well, let me just say it this way, and I can't do the whole teaching on the Holy Spirit, but when someone comes to Christ, we know from Ephesians that as soon as you're born again, the seal, the presence of the Holy Spirit is on you. It's the Spirit that says, Abba, Father, that we are now children of God, that we belong to him. And so it's not a matter of salvation. If you've come to Christ, if you're following Jesus if you've confessed him as Lord, then the Spirit of God has put God's imprint on you in terms of belonging, that you are saved. And that is precious and beautiful. But when, like these guys, you're waiting on God and you're longing and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't get hung up on logistics. You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't get hung up on logistics. This is just waiting, longing for more of God. Surrender to God. Releasing, wanting more. God adds something to you that did not previously exist. It's not like he tweaks you or it's an emotional experience. It is God's spirit filling you and equipping you, evidenced at Pentecost by this ability to speak in the languages of the nations. Evidenced in the, throughout the New Testament by the Holy Spirit giving people gifts, ministry gifts, that empower them and equip them to do the work of the kingdom, to do the work of the ministry. It says it in, I love it, it's all over the place, several places, but in 1 Corinthians, did I put it somewhere? I did not. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that the Spirit gives for the strengthening of the body, the gift of tongues, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miraculous powers, the gift of interpretation, the gift of prophecy. These are not things that we do. These are gifts given by God to the believers to equip them to do God's work, the work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and ministering to the church and to the world. God does something. He fills and he equips. I like how it's said in 
1 Corinthians 14. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. The gift of tongues we see in the New Testament. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. So anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So when God fills you with the Spirit and he releases, he gives you gifts, right? It's for the strengthening and the edification of everybody. So if I'm speaking in tongues, you don't know what I'm saying, I don't know what I'm saying, but the Spirit is speaking mysteries to God and my own spirit, my own spiritual life is edified, it's strengthened. And I didn't learn to speak in tongues, that was a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. Paul says, I wish all of you would do that. Just make sure you're using it the right way to strengthen, edify, and advance the cause of Christ. And if you prophesy, if you have the ability to know the heart of God and speak it relevantly in the world and in the church, if you know that, then use the gift of prophecy to strengthen and to edify the church. Prophecy is getting a weird name through the ages. People use it to show off or to say weird things or do different bits. But you know what? The gift of prophecy is such a precious gift to the church. Because God speaks his heart to someone and they're able to share that heart with someone else for their encouragement, for their edification, and for their comfort. Someone prophesied into my life this week and it was God's voice to me. God's heart to me in a moment where I, just, I needed to hear from God and they said, you know what? This does not mean less, it means more. God is going to open your heart to love more people. <laughs> like, thank you, Lord, because right now I think I love less people. You ever have one of those moments? But it was the gift by the Spirit that speaks to me, a surrendered servant of God, to say, don't stop, keep going. We need that. The third thing that God's Spirit does at Pentecost, it's quite beautiful. is he gives them boldness for life. Boldness for life. The Spirit comes so that life does not run us, but that we can run our own race. Each of us have known times when life has been overcome us. We're not living life, it's living us. The Spirit comes for boldness and for strength and for the power and the blessing of heaven that we would live as citizens of heaven in the manifestation of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we see it here where Peter, this unschooled fisherman, while people are mocking, are like confused and mocking, it says that he stood up. Peter stood up and he called attention. He says, listen to me. And he begins to explain Jesus to the bewildered, and to the mockers. It's wonderful. He would not have done that on his own. We see Peter stepping out of line lots of times in the Gospels. That is not Peter's thing. He'd have probably, he'd have probably punched someone in the face. That's Peter. I'm not drunk. Bam. No, but when the Spirit of God fills Peter, he doesn't react in the flesh. He doesn't react defensively or aggressively. But he stands up as God's man in the moment. 
by the Spirit of God. He says, listen to me. And as you get down through his little sermonette, this is what he says. Be assured of this, that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Lord and Messiah, Lord and Savior, Lord and your Deliverer. Listen, when you are filled and baptized and and run and driven and engined by the Spirit of God, life doesn't run you over, but you stand up in life and you say, I don't know what you are laughing about. I don't know what you're confused about. Let me simply say this. This Jesus whom you need is your Savior. And you say that by words. You say that by deeds. It is a constant flow of the Spirit through your life, testifying to the beauty and wonder of Jesus. Amen? There is so much more to say. But I'd like us to say less now, and I'd like us to experience more. So stand with me. Grant, come up. We're only going to have a short time. There is a wedding here in about an hour and a half, two hours. And so they're going to have to set up. So we don't have a lot of time left. I told them I'd get done by 1130. It's almost that now. But I want you just to have a few moments to respond to Pentecost. Disruption, empowerment, filling, equipping, and the fullness of Christ so that life doesn't live you, but you live your life and you live it for Jesus. While they sing this, I and the elders, we invite you, if you just need to come up and have someone pray for you, we would be happy to do that. If you can just stand there and just say, Holy Spirit, I'm making room for you. I desire more of you. I long for you. I'm waiting on you. Do it. Don't chicken out. Don't chicken out. God will touch you and meet you where you're at. Amen. Lord, here we are. Your word is spoken. We stand, Lord, in awe of you and all that you do. We don't even understand it all, God, but we want more of you. And so in this place, on this day, fill your people. Let us encounter you afresh. We need you, Lord, not as a turbo boost, but as the very engine that runs our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.